We continue in Galatians. We're going to finish up chapter 5 today. We're going to begin in verse 16. 16 should look familiar to you. We um, read it last week and an introduction to this next passage. Uh, So let us give our attention to God's um, infinitely practical um, and unchanging word. Um, Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the law are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage. It is so incredibly helpful. I pray that you would help me by your Holy Spirit to explain it in a way that can be helpful to them. That they would understand the riches that are in this very text that could help them so much. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would move in them that they would be able to digest this um, and put it into their lives. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a passage I'm really excited to preach about. Um, It is incredibly practical, and I hope you will agree by the time we're done. But I want to begin with a few questions. Um, Are there things in your life that you wish you could change? Are there sins that you struggle with over and over again? And you just wish you could stop. You wish you could be rid of them for good. I would say yes. I hope you would too. Things you know are wrong, but you just can't seem to stop. Or things that you know are important for Christians to do, and you have a hard time starting or to make them a habit in your life. Right? We have to say yes to all this if we're anywhere near honest this morning. And sometimes it feels like these are impossible Like, I've tried, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I just, I can't. It seems impossible. Well, if you remember from a few weeks ago, um, I used an illustration from Apollo 13. I watched it, and uh, so this is a second illustration from that movie, uh, which um, actually from the historical events that it was based on. So three astronauts have a problem, right? You, You know the line, Houston, we have a problem, right? And so they're out in space, and they've moved from the command module, or yeah, module over to the uh, what's it called, the landing module and the lunar module. But they have a problem because they're using up too much air. They wasn't designed for so many, for three people to be breathing in it. And so they're overloading the CO2, the carbon dioxide filter, right? And they're going to die out in space unless they can get the CO2 out of the air. And so they've got extra filters in the command module, but of course they're rectangular. And of course in the lunar module, they're round. 
Obviously, NASA has learned some lessons since Apollo 13. And so they're going to die out there because the filter won't fit in the hole. And so in, in Houston, so a bunch of engineers dump on a table every single thing those guys have out there. Duct tape, pen, notebook, everything they've got. And they say, guys, these guys are going to die unless you figure out a way to make that filter work. That really happened. And so these, these engineers set out to figure out how in the world are we going to do this? So they rig something up with duct tape and all this stuff to make this little jerry-rig filtration system. I think many of us feel like those engineers with our Christian lives. Like, how in the world am I supposed to do? I know the law. I know the commands of God. But how in the world do I keep them? Do you ever feel like that? The only problem is, unlike the engineers, there's no solution. You can't, in and of yourselves, so there's no solution in and of yourselves. The little asterisk there, we'll get to the other part. You can't do it. You can't try hard enough. There's no spiritual duct tape for you to jerry-rig something for you to keep the law of God. Hey, that's encouraging, isn't it? No, not at all. So this is where this passage becomes incredibly helpful because what I just described is your human experience. It's true. It's what, that's the way you feel. And so the question is, what in the world do we do? We know that God wants to grow us. And so here enters this passage. There's two things in this passage that are highly, highly practical. And so we're going to talk about them. And as you put them into your life, there is the real power for transformation. No matter what age you are, for you to actually see real change. It's not going to be instantaneous, but real change in your life. Um, Do you have comp time at work? You know how that works, right? You work some overtime, and then you have some extra time. I'd like to cash in some pastoral comp time, if you'll allow me to. Um, the last couple of sermons have been very, very short. I would like to cash in a little bit of that, and this sermon is just a little bit longer, um, but I promise you it will be well worth a few extra minutes. You have no choice. What can you do? I mean, you could leave, I guess, but you're stuck. All right, let's look at this. Look at the first couple of verses, um, verse 16 to 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, so just, we're going to contrast back and forth. Desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so hope you see this back and forth. John Stott calls this irreconcilable antagonism. They're always at war. Your flesh and your spirit are always at war. Um, kids, I want to test your U.S. geography. So kids, listen up. All right. If you leave Charleston on foot, and I tell you, you need to walk to New York, which way do you go? That's rough. That's right. You go, you go north, right? All right? <laughs> and uh, if you, um, so as you set out toward New York, are you getting closer to Florida? No. That's right. So every step you take toward New York, you're farther from Florida. The point of this is that the spirit and the flesh are in direct opposition. You're never walking both toward New York and Florida at the same time, right? Same with the, the spirit and the flesh. That's what these verses are saying. They're always pointing the opposite directions, okay? Look at page seven. We'll come back to that idea later. My goal this morning is two, two main goals. One is just to help you identify. Look at the first two points there. To help you identify the works of the flesh, what are they? This passage does that. Then what are 
What is it to walk by the Spirit? But identifying doesn't change anything yet. So then comes the last two points. Look at those. Crucify the flesh, and then keep in step with the Spirit. That's where the real change comes. So hold tight. It's the first half is kind of identification. The second half is transformation. All right, beginning with that first one, identify the works of the flesh. All right, so as I read this list in verse 19 to 21, I want you to think, are any of these true of me? Do you struggle with any of these? You could circle them if you're really courageous, but you might not be. You could just look at them and tell yourself because you only went around to see. It's fine, whatever you want to do. But look at this list. All right, verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And that's quite a list, isn't it? Did you notice how like half of them are the sins of the irreligious and the other half are the sins of the religious? Tim Keller pointed this out. I thought it was helpful. You know, there's some of these you just know are evil, right? You have no question in your mind that those are evil. A bunch of the others, they're in churches all the time, right? Look at it. Look at them. And so as we go through, see if you can figure out which those are. We'll go through them one by one. Again, think about this. Do I struggle with this? First one, sexual immorality. Um, again, giving credit where it's due, Philip Ryken's commentary was very helpful to me on this. Through this whole section. All right, sexual immorality. This is just a general term, any type of, sec- any type of sexual sin. Premarital sex, adultery, this also includes pornography. Y- you get it. Any type of sexual sin. Do you struggle with that? Impurity. Any type of uncleanness. Um, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you're very familiar with all this. We, the passage in God's providence was very parallel to this. Any type of uncleanness. Again, very broad. I'm cussing. Well, that's, that's unclean, but there's anything that's unclean. Do you struggle with that? Sensuality is also indecency. So immodesty. Do you struggle with immodesty? It's just one example. Idolatry, worshiping other gods. I have to go through these fast because there's a lot. Making anything an ultimate thing. Right, it's worshiping other gods and making anything an ultimate thing. Idolatry. Sorcery, witchcraft, this is the worship of anything that's evil. But now notice the next eight terms, they're relational terms. These are the ones I especially think we see often in churches. Enmity. And so it's closely related to the Greek word for enemy. This is a form of hatred. It includes any type of hatred for political, racial, religious hostility, but also just hatred in general. Do you have enmity for other people? Strife. Or do you have a quarrelsome spirit? Do you end up in arguments often? Jealousy. <laughs> if you have a newborn baby, your next child will experience jealousy. Or if you're about to have one, you'll get to experience this. Right? Mama is holding the baby, not me anymore. Unfortunately, it's not just kids. We adults, we can struggle with jealousy. Fits of anger. This could be translated fits of rage, outbursts of anger, so this kind of rage-filled outburst, yelling, cussing. You know, some people use lots of volume when they get mad. Some folks hit things, throw things, slam doors. Other folks are very quiet. Sometimes with their words, they just cut people. This is still fits of anger. Rivalries. It could be translated selfish ambitions, wanting to get ahead at the cost of others. 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, when people take sides. This happens among friends in marriages and also in churches. Dissensions, divisions. Okay, then we get to envy. Socrates has a great quote here. He says, the envious are pained by their friends' successes. The envious are pained by their friends' successes. Do you struggle with that? Do you find joy in others' misfortunes? This too is envy. Drunkenness. So the Bible doesn't prohibit alcohol, but it does prohibit drunkenness in excess. Orgies. So this one actually, it's not just referring to sexual. It actually, the Greek word refers to like pagan feasts, drinking parties. Basically where it's this big wild party. Late in the night. Indulging in revelry and carousing. It's quite a list, isn't it? But then if that's not enough, look what he says. He says, and things like these. He says, this isn't even an exhaustive list. This is just some examples. Why is this here? Why did Paul give this list? Well, these are sins you shouldn't do. Check. But is this a checklist? No. What is Paul's purpose? Remember, you can look at the title of the point. We're just trying to identify. This is the type of lifestyle. These are characteristic of works of the flesh. Okay, that's what he's doing here. Look, even he, he came back to it. You know when you like remember something else? Look at verse 26. He's like, oh, there's a couple more sins. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's an endless number of sins, works of the flesh that, that he could list. But look at verse 21. Man, look at the punch he brings here. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that means, don't you? They're going to hell. It says people that do these things are going to hell? I mean, have, haven't we all done something on this list? Many of these things on this list. What is he saying? What he's saying is, those who make a habit of this, if this is the way of your life, then that's, what, that's where you go. But So do all Christians still sin in these things? Yes. Right? But to make a habit of it, is this, is this a character, characterization of your life? Um, kids, let me help. Um, let me illustrate. If you wanted to tell me which tree was dead in your backyard, what would be some things you would look for? How would you know which tree was dead? Well, maybe if it had no leaves on it, okay, that's a clue. Um, if it was a fruit tree and had no fruit, okay, that's a clue. If the bark's like falling off of it, okay, it might be dead. If the whole thing just falls over, well, it's probably dead, right? But what about in winter? Don't some, don't some trees have no leaves in winter? Yeah. Some trees have no fruit. What about a dead branch? Sure, lots of your trees, probably all your trees have some dead branch on them. You see, this is also true of Christians, you see, the more of those attributes of a dead tree you have, the more likely it's a dead tree. Jesus talks in this way. And so if your life is characterized by these things, this is just normal, a bunch of these, you're probably not an alive tree. That's what, what Paul is saying here. Does that make sense? So just because you've done one of these, that's not what he's saying. Anyone who does any of these, for we would all be guilty. And that's what Jesus died for our sins, of course. But if you walk like that, that's someone who's living in their flesh. But yeah, that warning is, is serious, isn't it? Do you always know when you're walking by the flesh? I don't always know it. Sometimes it takes me a while. See, the problem is, is that your flesh actually blinds you, and so you can't see in the mirror. 
right? It literally takes away your ability to see that what you're doing. And so part of the trick, and this is why Paul gives this whole exhaustive list, is hopefully next time you do one of these, next time you have a fit of rage, you're angry, you lash out in your mind that you would click and say, oh, I'm probably walking in the flesh right now. That's a big win. The next time any of these, if you can just identify, and I said this last week, it's super important, if you can just identify, I'm walking in the flesh right now, you are well on your way. We just don't realize it. We have no clue. Some of you have never even heard this possibly. You've never been told you actually have a flesh and you're tempted to walk in it. All those bad stuff you do is walking in your flesh. It's your old nature. Okay, so now our passage, now as it's described to that, moves to describing something else. That's our second point. To identify the fruits of the Spirit. So look at verse 22. He says, but, we're going to change subjects, rather than this whole list of bad stuff, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, again, it's not an exhaustive list. Right? What about godliness or hope? Right? He's just giving some characteristic things. This is what a spirit-filled lives looks like. But here, let's go through them one by one very briefly. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, the greatest of these is love. Um, Philip Ryken says very well, it says that it's the highest love is the highest of all virtues, the foundation of all godliness, the kind of selfless sacrificial affection that enables us to serve one another in love. Our example is Christ. How do you know what love is? Jesus laid down his life. Even children, he laid down his life for you. Because you sin, Jesus died. That's what love is. How do we love each other? We sacrifice for each other. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Joy. Now joy is a confusing one. Is joy the same thing as happiness? No. So joy is not necessarily based on your circumstances. Or otherwise, it'd be up and down. Hey, you can't, you can't say that a spirit-filled person is joyful because your circumstances aren't always the same. Sometimes you feel terrible. Sometimes you feel great. Sometimes you get a good grade, a bad grade. It is not based on pleasant circumstances. It is based on the gospel. It is the, the, the um, knowledge that you are saved. I, I'm presently redeemed. God loves me. He's always with me. I have a great future waiting for me. Nothing can change any of those things. You can always have joy. No matter what your circumstances, you can have joy. As we go through these, think, are these characteristic of you? Would someone describe you as loving, as joyful, as peaceful? Peace, again, not based on present circumstances. Where does real peace come from? Where's real peace come from? It comes from the knowledge that you are right with God. If you are right with God, you have no other big problems. And if you are not right with God, nothing else is right. There are many wealthy people who are healthy and are miserable because they don't have peace with God. Humans will never be peaceful unless they know that they are okay with God. We've talked many times recently about Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you're with me. If you're with me. God is with you. You can have peace no matter your circumstances if you know that God is with you. Patience. Patience is long-suffering in the face of adversity. Long-suffering in the face of adversity. It's the ability to endure hardship with a good attitude. A patient person 
has a long, slow-burning fuse. Do you have a long, slow-burning fuse? Patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is, it con- is a constant readiness to help others. Kids, are you always ready to help your siblings or your parents? This is a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Goodness. It implies complete moral excellence. Goodness, faithfulness, which you could say trustworthiness. Do you always do what you say you'll do? Do you follow through? Are you a man or woman of your word? Faithfulness. Gentleness. Some have described this as power under control. Do you have power under control? Gentleness. It's not weakness. Power under control. Self-control. Moderation, especially in matters of eating, drinking, sex, and entertainment. Are you able to control how much you eat? Are you able to control how much entertainment you consume? Is your sexual life under control? How much you drink? Remember we talked about Christian liberty last week? So what keeps Christian liberty from becoming licensed is this, self-control. It enables you to enjoy good gifts from God in moderation. Many of those things are good gifts from God. But self-control lets them not become sinful. He says, against such things there is no law. He's describing a lifestyle. You see what he did? He described a lifestyle. Hey, this is what it looks like to walk in the flesh. Here's what it looks like to walk in the spirit. And did you notice, um, was fruit singular or plural, kids? Singular. Boy, Paul didn't pay attention in grammar class. We don't have agreement. You can't describe nine things and call it singular, can you? Well, unless it's a gem that you're looking at from nine different angles. So rather than this being nine different gems, this is one gem from nine angles. What he was doing, he's just trying to describe what is walking by the Spirit look like? Does that make sense? What is a, a fruitful life look like? Again, just like it's easier to see in other people their sins, right? Just we hide, right? You're blinded, your flesh blinds you. So also with the Spirit. We also don't see our own growth. You know a way that you can really bless your spouse, your children, your friends, is when you see them exhibiting some fruit of the Spirit, tell them. Tell them, I see you're, you're, God's really doing a work in you in patience. You're, you're joyful even though you have hard circumstances. It's really life-giving to those around you to affirm what you see in them. Okay, so hopefully we've gotten. So we've got, here's what it looks like to identify works of the flesh. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit is. But now you're probably saying, could you give me something practical? Thanks for the identification lesson. But we get to now the third point. Crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. When you're gardening, what do you do? You pull up all the weeds and you plant some good plants, right? All right, so look at this. What does it say to do with your weeds? Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, which is all of you if you're a Christian, have done what? What have they done to the flesh? Did they pluck it out of the ground? Did they um, spray Roundup on it? Look at the, what does it say there? It says crucify. You cannot choose a more violent word. Think about that. The word he chose was crucify. What was crucifixion? It was the most like gruesome, awful way of executing a human, maybe known to man. Crucify. He says, this is what you're supposed to do with your flesh. Reichen again said, the Holy Spirit does not produce fruit in the Christian life without our cooperation. There's two things every Christian must do to remain fruitful. The first is to mortify the flesh. Kids, you know that word mortify? I doubt your parents have ever said that to you. 
Mortify is an old-fashioned word for to kill. So mortify means to kill. The Puritans love this word. An old Puritan named John Owen wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin, a famous work. In it, he said this line, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. He's right. He gets this from Romans 8.13. It says there, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, it's the same idea. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. The picture in verse 24 could not be stronger. I mean, think about crucifixion. Everyone that went up to be crucified, they, some hung there for a couple days, but they always died. They had the same end, even if it was a slow death. This is what you're to do with your flesh. You have a flesh. The reason that you could empathize with some of that list of works of the flesh is you have a flesh. I do too. And what does it say? To crucify it. To nail it to a cross. That's a pretty vivid picture. People don't come back off of crosses. They always die once they're up there. This is what you're to do. You're not to take your flesh back off the cross. To nail it up there until it's lifeless and dead. Now the bad news is you will never completely finish this. You will live your whole life, and at the end, your flesh will not be completely dead yet. It will still have some life left in it, no matter how long you live and how hard you work. That's the discouraging part. The encouraging part is you can make lots of progress. By God's grace, he's given me some progress. I've been at this maybe 28 years, working on crucifying my flesh, and I've seen progress little by little over the time. Have you seen that in your Christian life? That little by little, you see God changing you as you keep nailing it up there. Your flesh. As I said, Reichen was so helpful. He said about this. He said, We are sometimes tempted to remove the nails, help your old sinful nature down from the cross, and nurse it back to health. This is why we struggle with so-called besetting sins. Sins we commit so often, they become bad habits. This has to stop. Do not administer first aid to your flesh. Isn't that good? We're all tempted to do that. Pull it off the cross and nurse it back to health. We have to leave the flesh on the cross. We're tempted to feed our pet sins. Do not resuscitate your flesh. Do not perform CPR on your flesh. Don't put it on life support. Leave it on the cross to die a little bit more each day. And so every time we've sinned, I mean, just picture that. Whenever you sin, you realize you've pulled your flesh back off. You've given it some life. Isn't that interesting? So what does this look like practically? You have to figure out what is giving your sins life. Why do you keep struggling with the same things? Think about what, you, what, what are sins that beset you that you just keep doing. How are they getting their life? And you have to cut off their strength. Jesus said it so violently. He said, cut off your hand if it leads you to sin. Gouge out your eye. It's quite a picture. I mean, is it late at night? Is it late at night when you're by yourself on your computer? Is that when you fall into temptation? Is it after a really long day when you come home and something sets you off? Is that when you fall into temptation and you give in? We really have to think and understand our sin. Um, let me get at the attention of all the men and teenage boys, um, or even preteens. Uh, you need this too. So I want you to imagine that you're in a big field, a big um, uh, field of brush, okay? It's all real dry. 
and you take a match and you drop it at your feet, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to have a little brush fire at your feet. Could you put that out? Yeah, as long as you get to it quick, right? You can just stomp that thing out. You know, as long as it's in the first few minutes, you got a one foot, two foot, maybe three foot fire. Wait a half hour. How's that going to go? Yeah, no chance. You're calling the fire department now, right? It's spread way too, you can't stamp it out. Our flesh is like that. When it starts to get a little bit of strength, it starts to pop those nails out off the cross, you got to catch it. You got to realize it and hammer it back in. For men and young men, you have to understand what the battle looks like. And you have to figure out what does it look like to violently put it to death? How bad do you want to win? I ask you that. How bad do you want to win? <clears throat> you know, what about anger? You know, there are times, and if you ever end up in conflict with me, probably halfway through the conversation, I'll probably stop us because I'll realize either my flesh is rising up in me or I watch it in you. I say, can we just pause and pray? Because I'm trying to nail the flesh back in. Do you do that when you're in conflict? Do you stop yourself, stop your spouse and say, hey, can we just pray? Can we just take a break for a second? I need to, I need to collect myself, right? Because your flesh is gaining that brush fire spreading. Whether it's sexual sin, whether it's anger, whatever the sin is, it starts small, but it just gets bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, you've lost your mind. You're out of your mind. You will, you'll just fall into sin. Whatever you are running for, you're going to keep doing it. You won't stop yourself. You have to put out the brush fire early. You have to understand when you have a brush fire at your feet. This is very practical. I hope you can connect the dots. This has been very helpful in my Christian life. But it's always a battle. My flesh is still alive. It, it, it often wants to pop itself out and gain life. And so the way that I, I keep myself from sins, certain ones that I've struggled with in my life, is that I catch it and I text. Texting didn't exist 28 years ago, but it does now. And so I text. I have some very close accountability partners. And I text them and say, hey, I wasn't looking for trouble, but it found me. Just pray for me. I'm going to be weaker for a little while. My flesh has more strength. And so what I'm doing is my friend is now nailing my flesh to the cross, right? Because now we're together. He knows that I'm a, have my, my temptation has increased. Do you do this when you're anxious? Do you do this when you're tempted to blow up at your family? I hope you do. You will have greater strength to crucify, to mortify, to put to death your flesh. You know, verse 24, it's in past tense. It says, crucified. If you're a Christian, the power of your flesh has been broken. You now have a chance. You can actually obey God now in a way that you never could before. Okay, remember I said there were two things. One is kill the flesh, crucify the flesh. The other is our final point, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. This is the other thing that Christians must do. You need to revive your soul. You need to give it life as you're crucifying this. You're taking away its life and you're giving this life. If you look at verse 25, it has an if-then statement kind of implied. If we live by the Spirit, and you do, if you're a Christian, you're living because of the Spirit. Then implied, keep in step with the Spirit. This is a military language. Have you ever seen troops in formation? Right? They're all marching. They're chanting left, right, left, right? They're, they're keeping in step. If you've seen them running together, Right? And they look out for each other. There's two things I want you, to, two applications from that. One is, is you need to um, have your cadence set by the Holy Spirit. 
if you're going to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, you need to figure out how does the Holy Spirit think. Right? That's what soldiers do. Whoever's leading the formation, we got to follow him. Where he's going, we're going to go. We aren't thinking about where we're going. We're just staying in formation, right? That's one. The other is you are not in a formation of one. You're not in a formation of one. Right here is your Christian family. God intends for you to lean on each other. How can you do that? How can you do that? We are to lean on each other. We're going to look at this in the next passage, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, should restore him. If someone's falling behind, you're going to see it before they do sometimes. Do you ever call out in love gently? Did you hear that? In love gently? Your spouse. Make sure it's in love and gently and choose your timing well. Do you ever call out your children? Do you ever call out your friends and say, hey, what's going on here? This, this isn't you walking by the Spirit. Can we stop and pray together? Something's not right here. You're going to see it before they do. Don't call out everything, but when you see patterns developing, that's our place. It's your place, wives, to love your husbands. It's your place, husbands, to love your wives and your children and your friends. You are in a formation. You are not an army of one. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You cannot walk to New York and Florida at the same time. Right, kids? If you're walking toward the Spirit, how do you do that? Okay, this is our last big practical piece. You need this. How are you going to find the cadence of the Holy Spirit? How do you feed your spirit? If we talked about how do you mortify, how do you kill the flesh, how are you practically going to do it? Well, remember, here's your branch. My arm's the branch, kids. And if you want to have fruit on it, how do you do that? How does a branch produce fruit? Jesus tells us in John 15. John 15 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides where? It has to be connected to the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. Apart from me, listen there, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like those engineers, if they didn't have what they needed. They happen to have what they needed for Apollo 13. But what if they didn't? Those astronauts would have died floating out in space. You will die trying to obey the law of God in and of your own strength. It is impossible, humanly speaking. Your only chance of the fruit of the Spirit is with the Spirit. It's with the Spirit. How will you get that? John 15 said, you abide in me. How do you abide in Christ? What practical ways, what do you practically do? Think for a second. What do you practically do to abide in Christ, to live in Christ, to get life out of him? What do you do? Let me just give you some ideas. Actually, kids, you can help. What happens when you eat too much sugar? Like way too much sugar. Are you like bouncing off the walls? See, your parents even know. When you're bouncing off the walls, they're like, how many cookies did you have? They know. You can just see from the child's behavior what they ate. This is true spiritually. This is true spiritually. You can see what you've eaten by how you're behaving. You can see what you've eaten by how you're behaving. The Holy Spirit primarily uses the ordinary means of grace. You haven't heard that term? It's very simple. Word, prayer, and sacraments. Sacraments is baptism and the Lord's Supper. 
Very simple. Word, prayer, and sacraments. How do you get those in your life? How are you getting those in your life? Let me just give you some practical ways that we get those in our life. Do you normally have the daily practice of reading your Bible and praying? Yes or no? Do you attend worship in a Bible-believing church each Sunday that you're able? Do you regularly have fellowship with other Christians to study God's Word together and share your life with them? We do that through missional communities. Do you pray with your spouse each day? Now remember, this isn't a checklist. I'm just giving you examples. Are these not ways that you abide in Christ? Do you read the Bible and pray as a family if you have one? Do you do that each day? There are other ways, but I just want to give you examples. I've given you a number of lists today, right? A bunch of works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. My goal is not that you take this home as some checklist. I just want you to get the big picture. Do you understand you are a branch? You are not going to produce any fruit if you are not connected to the vine. And how do you do that? You read the Bible by yourself, as a family, in groups, as a church. Do you see that? I hope you see this is the big picture. If we are to walk by the Spirit, we need to eat. You know, every marathon runner knows this. It matters what you eat before the race, right? Like, do you just, like, fill up on junk food and sugar right before a marathon? I hope not. You won't make it long. The Christian life is a marathon. Christian life is a marathon. What you eat matters. If you eat a bunch of junk food, if you feed your flesh, do not be surprised when it has He-Man strength to pop off the cross and take over. You're like, how did it get such strength? Well, you fed the thing probably, right? We all naturally do that. So don't feed the monster if you don't want him to take over. Feed your spirit. This is extremely practical. These two things, mortifying the flesh, killing the flesh, figuring out how in the world is it getting its strength and I'm going to cut it off. And then how do I feed my spirit that I may grow? If you do these things, brothers and sisters, you'll be like John Owen said, you'll be killing sin so it may not be killing you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for such practical advice. Lord, we really, I and all of us here, have a genuine desire to grow in Christ-likeness. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not even a Christian, help them realize that, that they don't have the Spirit, that they're like those astronauts in space, but soon to die because they, can't, they have no CO2 filter that fit. They just can't do it. Lord, I pray that they would run to you and realize that apart from you, it is hopeless. But Lord, thank you that with you, it is more than hopeful. It is guaranteed. Thank you that you've promised that in the end, you will make us pure. You will glorify us. You'll finish the work that we're working to do so slowly now. Lord, encourage my brothers and sisters with this very hopeful passage. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.